Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hello. Thank you for joining us for another edition of Is It Worth It? The Film Review Podcast. This is indeed week 35 and we've gone out of our way to see almost all the films in the cinema so you don't have to. I'm Craig Fields and I'm joined this week as always with the wonderfully entertaining and talented Mr. David Long. David, how are you? Oh well Craig, thank you very much for that wonderful introduction. That's right. Uh, I'm struggling a bit. I've spoken on your show, the uh, film review show, which... Um, cinema review show? The cinema review show. <laughs> Sorry, I've mixed two brilliant podcasts and merged them into one <laughs> super podcast. You have. Um, about my struggles with mental health. And I have been struggling this week a little bit with uh, depression and anxiety. So uh, recording today is hopefully will make me feel better. But no, I've come into the studio a little bit nervous, which I have no reason to be, uh, which is one of the problems with mental health. There's no, there's no logical reason for me to be anxious. But yes, I am. Um, but a positive twist. I do encourage people, like I said on the Cinema Review show, to approach this kind of difficulty with a positive mental attitude. Get yourself busy, get yourself active, like I'm doing here, getting out and recording. Um, and as always, I'm very, very happy to talk to anyone, particularly if you're a listener struggling with depression or anxiety, um, about my battles with it and um, to offer advice where, where I can. No, I think that's um, definitely an encouraging thing to start the show on, really. Mm. I know, obviously, it's not encouraging to hear that you're feeling down but and depressed and whatnot, but it's nice to talk about it and be open about mm. it. And, and hopefully, after you finish recording, we've had some fun recording yeah. here, you'll feel... Yeah, I've got to say, I'm not sure better. our it double bill helped with my mental health. <laughs> it was absolutely shaken to shit after that. <laughs> I mean, I remember that I live on my own, so I just had to go home and... Various. Oh, were, yeah. were you actually really that like shaken up after watching it? The, I'll, I'll be honest. So I hadn't seen the the first. I hadn't seen it. So we saw the double bill in IMAX, which was fantastic, by the way. So we saw it, then it chapter two. I found it really. I, I, I I'll, I'll talk more about it in the actual review, but I, it goes from the sublime to the ridiculous. But what it does well, some of it, and particularly that opening scene with "Hello, Georgie," with um, Penny. Oh, you can what, do better. Put uh, impression that gone. Oh, uh, hello. I, no, I can't now. <laughs> <laughs> Just, hello, but no, that opening scene, the the color grading they use on it it's really it's 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 horrifying the thought of a little boy going out and just playing with a paper boat and it going into a drain and then they're just being this demonic horrible psychotic clown in there it, it yeah it, it, it i mean it's not the most it shook you it shook me up a bit yeah i mean it's 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 horror at its finest when it gets it right and mm. it does get it dramatically wrong at times as well we'll touch more upon that in the review but no you want to watch a film like homeward bound or something you know something you know uplifting you know a disney film but it double bill i said to you we were in there for so long i should have taken some stockings like you were on a long haul flight <laughs> yeah deep vein thrombosis was kicking in because like cine world should supply those really i think they should next time there's a double bill particularly if it's a two and a half and then a two and a three quarter hour film I think stockings need to be provided for everyone's <laughs> um, everyone's physical health and mental health 
And it should come with a warning, deep vein thrombosis warning when you go and watch a double bill in yeah. IMAX. Instead of the epilepsy ones with the, the flashing yeah. lights. <laughs> just a pair of stockings come up on the screen. But no, um, yeah, no, I feel better already. Uh, looking forward to the show. Craig, what have we got coming up? Well, coming up on this week's show, we'll be joining the Losers Club 27 years later, as we just said, in the sleepy town of Derry to take down the evil Pennywise. Sleepy town? I think that's a, it's the unsleepiest town I've ever seen. Yeah, I mean, it's really not sleepy at all, is it? No, well, I suppose for 27 years it's just a normal little town and then that demonic flesh-eating clown returns. Mm, well... We're going to be taking a look at It's mm. Chapter 2, and it's starring an, a huge, massive ensemble cast, so uh, mm. we'll touch upon those cast members and who they are in the actual review. After that, we'll be taking a look at The Informer, starring Joel Kinnaman, Clive Owen, Rosamund Pike, and Anna de Armas. And after that, I shall be uh, I shall be reviewing, I'll get that right. That's good to hear. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a Million Little Pieces on My Own. Um, the actual name of the film is A Million Little Pieces, by the way. Mm. Uh, this had a limited release this week, and I actually had to all the way to Milton Keynes to see this one uh, so find out on this week's show whether or not I thought it was worth it uh, it was directed by Sam Taylor Johnson and it was starring Aaron Taylor Johnson fantastic and we'll, rev- we'll round the show off with a review of The Mustang starring Matthias Schoenartz and Bruce Dern what a wonderful it's almost small show this it's a, week it's a small show but we're pumping out a show every week and we've seen four films this week you've went out of your way uh, to see a film we don't know if it was a bad one so the listener didn't have to all the way to Milton Keynes yes I couldn't make it no next time we go to Milton Keynes but you're I'm coming with me uh, we'll, we'll save it I'm hoping to have a bit of an input aren't I in this review um, so I'm yeah. looking forward to it yeah definitely, definitely but let's kick off the show in our usual way with hello Georgie hello the box office rundown This is the Box Office Rundown, brought to you by Is It Worth It, the Film Review Podcast. You kick us off. Yes, that's right. It's the Box Office Rundown for the weekend of August the 30th to the September the 1st, 2019. Uh, in at number 10, we have Good Boys, and we reviewed this on last week's mm. show. Uh, we were fairly disappointed in a vast majority of reasons why um it seemed to have only two jokes running throughout the entire film there was a lot of distasteful things going on in there david particularly didn't like the scene where the kids were running across the road because you said well, that you got a, run over uh, sorry a motorway, a motorway highway. Yeah, highway yeah yeah because you said i just that you thought got it was over. in bad taste i just thought certain things are funny but the idea of children running across a really busy highway in america it just isn't funny for the drivers for the children i like i said i was hit by a car when i was a child i don't know if that lingered in the back of my mind but i, I think you've been a bit more critical there than we originally were there was a lot of um a lot of laughs and a couple of brilliant performances yeah. in there but some of the humour did fall flat and some of the yeah. jokes did get a bit um, a little bit repetitive um, but nonetheless Good Boys comes in at number 10 at number 9 we have The Informer um, we won't be saying anything about that because we are in fact reviewing it on today's show indeed in at number 8 we have Casino Royale again so the secret cinema is still going uh, going very strongly um, as David says 
every week uh, since we've been doing the box office rundown since we've been back and Casino Royale has been in there mm. it's his favourite uh, Bond film yep. um, it is too my favourite Bond film as well um, Daniel Craig is phenomenal in it and I think a secret cinema viewing of this should actually happen should we go and see it I mean it's 50 quid a ticket but I mean why not I mean I think it'd be great let's do it you can dress up as Bond a bald Bond a bald Bond actually that's what we need really Jason Statham it's just the worst <laughs> Bond ever um, but no we've said this before uh, Casino Royale it, look it's a, it's a great film it's up there with um, Goldfinger for me is one of the best Bond films I think Daniel Craig's brilliant uh, in at number 7 we have Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark um, it wasn't scary it was pretty awful if I'm honest almost laughable we didn't play the trumpet last week possibly we should have done one thing I've just realised is that it got a, a, a certificate of 15. Yes. The exact same as Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. Now, let me tell you, that is wrong. And that is seriously wrong. One of them has to go the other way. Either Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark should be a 12 or it should be an 18. For those for those two films to have the same rating is completely ludicrous. Unfortunately, the BBFC got rid of a 12 rating and it is now a 12A. So that would have meant that children under the age of 12 if they're accompanied by a parent would be allowed into mm. that film and i think that's one of the reasons why they classified it as a 15 um definitely not a 15 should be something like because in the, in america it was a pg-13 and mm. i think that's more adequate for yeah. for that film but because we lack that age rating in the uk that's sort of borderline 12 13 yeah have they completely scrapped the 12 certificate? Yes. Is it all 12A now? It's wow. all 12A. Um, yeah, because I mean, that couldn't be a 12A because you couldn't have a, a six or seven-year-old going in to see that with their parents. They'd no. be terrified. But I think in America, you can bring in your children to mm. uh, an age rating film. So like Good Boys is a 15 as well, isn't it? And I think there's... Uh, Ranjit was telling me that some kids were going into those when he was in New York last week. Um, yeah. So uh, it's all a bit up in the air, really, with that sort of stuff. But yeah, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark comes in at number seven. Can but... you do your impression? Oh, wait, why am I dead? <laughs> that person, it was, a, I mean, I don't, I, I will reiterate the point. There was somebody, a dead person, flesh falling off, rotting, just obsessed with the fact that they were missing one toe. Didn't make any sense, did it? Then we had the Mr. Blobby character. It was laughable. It shouldn't be a 15. No. Certainly when it is a 15, it's like comparing a fillet steak to a vegetable uh, it's just no comparison whatsoever no well in at number six we have toy story four and as we've said on the previous box office rundowns uh, it was a fantastic film um I, I in my feeling was that it was the fourth film in a trilogy that you never really knew that you needed or within a trilogy obviously a fourth film is no longer a trilogy yeah but, i know what you're trying to say yeah you it know felt what like I mean. it did it was it needed and it, it felt like you did need it after you finished it. And it feels like, as you've said on previous weeks, that we, we're going to need a fifth film just to mm. finish it off completely. Um, you've written the story in your head. We talked about it yeah. before when we left the film, seeing it, what was going to happen. And we are going to, one of these days, tell people what we think is going to happen on Toy Story 5. Should we touch upon it now or not? I mean, we could do. Basically, it's going to have to be 10 or 15 years in the future, um, I would think, um, with Andy having some sort of crisis. Maybe he's, his, his wife's pregnant, he's having children, but something happens to Andy. Hang on, hang on, hang on a second. His wife is pregnant is a crisis. Should be a wonderful, joyous no, but, time. 
I don't mean a crisis, but some sort of big, <laughs> you know what I mean, a big moment in his life. Okay, and life, something's happening, a life-changing moment. Maybe something's yeah. going wrong, or his his wife's about to give birth, and I don't know. And the the toys come to Andy, and that's what happens. Instead of Andy oh, trying I can to see find the scene now, yeah, the, instead of Andy trying to find the toys, yeah. the toys are coming to Andy to be there for, say, his newborn child. And then when the child is born, the first toy that the child gets is Woody. Something like that. I can I can see it now. The toys popping their head around the corner, and yeah. she's giving like she's giving birth. I mean, the baby's in the arms. Yeah. The toys are all looking round. Yeah. It's like a, a real. And then you know you know moment. when the toys they're all running and then they drop to the floor and they're suddenly toys again. Andy comes out and he t- bumps into Woody in the hospital or something, something like that, where he's been looking for them for for years but yeah. has given up. I'd go for And that. they come and find him. And I didn't mean a crisis, but you know what I mean—a life-changing yeah, yeah. event. A Having life a baby is not a event. crisis, no. but something like that. But it has to be set in the future. Ha- there has to be more because I was not overly pleased with with how it ended. Hmm. So what's in that number five? David? In number five, we have Fast and Furious presents Hobbs and Shaw. Look, it was a little bit ridiculous. Uh, all of those films are, but actually, uh, Dwayne the Rock Johnson was was very good as always, and uh, I think we both recommended seeing it in the cinema. Definitely, yes. In at number four, we have Dora and the Lost City of Gold. And we thoroughly enjoyed seeing this film. I even said that it was a work of genius, an absolute masterpiece. And I'm going to stick by that because I I thought it was brilliant. Uh, We had, uh, I had someone come up to me the other day and say that they really thoroughly enjoyed it were mm. really taken aback and I think you are you see the trailer and you think oh I really don't really fancy seeing this You, if you do go and see it you then walk out thinking actually that mm. was amazing really well done um, and uh, yeah just, just brilliant yeah, I totally agree. I was I was really surprised by Dora and the Lost City of Gold. If you haven't seen it, go and see it. It really is worth it. In at number three, we have Angel Has Fallen, um, the third film following on from Olympus Has Fallen and London Has Fallen with their terrible CGI effects. Actually, out of all three, this was probably the best. It focused on more you know close-range combat. It did have a lot of explosions, but the way they did that was actually quite funny and listen to our re- full review last week if you want to hear more about it. But actually, yeah, Angel Has Fallen. Um, I'm surprised it's as high as three but you know it actually was quite an entertaining film it was <laughs> i'll just keep thinking of nick nolte and our impressions it was yeah there. well no more of those no uh, so <laughs> number two it's the lion king so mm. that's been up and down in the box office the last few weeks uh it's back in at number two um we were pleasantly surprised by the visual nature mm. of the film we thought it was a work of genius in that sense um however Story-wise and pace-wise, it could have been better. I think the pace was better than you thought it was. Mm. Um, but nonetheless, it is worthy of being in the box office still. Perhaps maybe not at number two. Not many people... Uh, I feel like people have seen it now and there's been some sort of resurgence going back to seeing it. So my brother listened, has been listening to the episodes recently and he texted me to say that he'd listened to our top 10 films episode, top 10 films of 2019 so far. If you haven't hmm. listened to that, do check it out. And he said that he was really surprised that Lion King was in at number 10 for me. Um, and I had a rethink of it and actually I stick by it. I think for the visuals uh, and for what they did, I think it is one of the better films that has come out this year. Visually, it was sensational. And the more I think about it, the more I actually want to see it again. Yeah. I think I can 
compared it too much to the original, which I saw when I was a child. It's one of Disney's classic films. But just for the visuals, some of the performances, I think Seth Rogen, the human warthog, plays a whole, an actual warthog very well. Um, so if you <laughs> haven't seen The Lion King, if it's still out in cinemas, which it must be, go and see it on the biggest screen possible. Craig, what's at number one? In at number one is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So uh, we were very surprised that this had dropped uh, down in the box office rundown last week, um, but it's now back in at number one, and rightly so, really. It's one mm. of Tarantino's best works. It's not his finest, but it's certainly up there, and it, he's taken another historical um, point in time and built a fictional story surrounding that historical yep. story, and he's he's created a... a, a, a I don't know, how, how do we say this without spoiling it? He's created a film that has envisaged a new history almost. Yeah, it's, and, and it's a wonderful character study. He, it, he, it, the film started as a book and you can see that there's so much depth in Leonardo DiCaprio and Brad Pitt's characters and Margot Robbie obviously plays a, a historically real character. And I've had so many people come up to me and say, David, I, you know, the ending's brilliant, but it's too slow, it's too slow. It isn't too slow if you understand the history. If you understand the history of, of this film, it isn't too slow. It's, a, it's, it's boiling up to the climatic ends. Creating tension. Yeah, it's creating tension because you're expecting something to happen and you don't know whether it's going to happen and how is Tarantino going to show it? And... I really encourage people to watch this film, stick with it. it. It is worth it. But also just remember that this film was made last year. You feel like you are in 1969 Hollywood. Tarantino literally has built a time machine with this film and taken us back. He pays so much attention to detail. It's a wonderful, wonderful film. Um, one of, you know, like you said, one of his better films because he can get a bit carried away with his blood and gore, and there isn't much of that in there. In this, and Brad Pitt's superb, DiCaprio's superb. You know, you've got Al Pacino in there, Margot Robbie. Look, it's a wonderful film, and it deserves to be in at number one. It will be knocked off by It Chapter Two. I can tell you for a fact now that will be number one at the box office um, next week. Yeah, I, I have this feeling though that it's not really doing quite as well as the first one because the first it was a sensational hit in the mm. cinema it, you know it it made a lot of money more money than most people expected yeah. i have this feeling it chapter two might not be at a number one spot next week but possibly in the next few weeks there uh, having seen the first one and, and literally seen them back to back at the end of the first one it was obvious that it was being set up for a sequel but they they did such brilliant character development in the first one and that they so much was explored that you always wondered was the second one just going to be more of the same yes let's and save it for the review yeah 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 <laughs> do you want to do your normal Box office run. Yes. In at number 10, we have Good Boys. Nine, The Informer. Eight, Still There, Casino Royale. Seven, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, Absolute Rubbish. Six, Toy <laughs> Story 4. Five, Fast and Furious Presents, Hobbs and Shaw. Four, Dora and the Lost City of Gold. Go and see it. Three, Angel Has Fallen. Two, The Lion King. And deservedly so, at number one, is Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Where's my toe? Well, not again. Why am I dead? <laughs> Our first review of week 35 is, in fact, It's Chapter 2. And as you heard in the box office rundown, we have a lot to say on this film. Now, it's 27 years later after the majority of the Losers Club have left Derry after the terrifying events involving Pennywise, the dancing clown. Now, the repressed events are brought to the surface when a phone call brings a club back together to face Pennywise yet again. Uh, here's a clip from It Chapter 2. 
When uh, Mike called me, I threw up. When Mike called me, I crashed my car. Seriously? Yeah. Man, I hear you. I mean, my heart was literally like pounding right out of my chest. I thought it was only me. It was like pure f <laughs> fear. It's fear. Why do we all f feel like that, Mike? You remember something we don't, don't you, Mike? Something happens to you when you leave this town. The farther away, the hazier it all gets. But me, I never left. So yeah, I remember all of it. So I'm going to kick off this review by mentioning It Chapter 1 and straight off the bat I'm going to say that I enjoyed It Chapter 1 far more than I did It Chapter 2. Now why did I do why did I why do I think that? Well, It Chapter 1 contained a lot more character development. Mm. Um it was a record-breaking film in terms of a horror making a lot of money, a significant amount of money in, in the box office. Um, you know, it did very well and it was a very good adaptation. Um, before that incarnation of it, we had a sort of mini-series version of it, which starred Tim Curry as um, Pennywise, the, the dancing clown. And the performance in in that sense with with Bill Skuzgar coming in and, and doing that, he... he changed Tim Curry's performance. Tim Curry did a really great performance, despite the fact the miniseries being not so good. Um, and he brought a very melodic and very creepy um, Pennywise to, to It Chapter One. And I felt that It Chapter One had a lot more character development. It was a much more coming-of-age film. Um, and it, 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 the fear of these what these children were going through was a lot more... Mm. Um, it chapter two is about remembering it's about bringing forth repressed feelings and emotion and there's this echo that seems to return in in this one um it chapter two really does kick off with a, a really rather horrific scene actually um there's a homophobic attack in mm. Derry, which i felt was tonally setting the tone for the film but never really comes back into the forefront of yeah. what was going to happen it, and, and you described it earlier as um a lot of there's a lot of horrific stuff that happens and very sublime creepy stuff mm. you said but then it borderlines into just ridiculousness yes yeah. Did you want to expand on that? Yeah, so, I mean, it's the same with the first film. I think the that uh, opening scene in the first film where um, Georgie is chasing that um, boat down the, down the road where there's obviously the water flowing from the rain and it goes into the drain and we meet um, Bill Skarsgård's um, um, Pennywise for the first time is the way the colour grading's done on that. It feels really iconic. It feels really original and it is... It is disturbing, you know, the fact that there's a clown in a drain talking to a small child is just genuinely creepy. And then, obviously, we have that attack and the child is taken and it's quite bloody and gory and it's like, boom, here you go. Um, and in the first film, it does go from the sublime to the ridiculous. And I think it does it more so in the second film. Um, like you said, the first film was not only a major hit at the box office, uh, it got a very good scoring on Rotten Tomatoes with 86% of the critics liking it and 84% of the audience liking it. And I hadn't actually seen it. Um, 
So I saw the double bill, like I said, in IMAX when I needed my stockings to stop deep vein thrombosis kicking in because <laughs> we were in there for a hell of a long time, yep. half past seven till about one, one-ish in the morning. Um, and I really liked the first film. I thought as an adaptation from not only the 1990 film, but obviously the original source material, um, I thought it played very close to that. Um, and it, it was like the original, but on steroids so there was more blood there was more gore the crown was the clown the crown this is this wasn't some sort of you know demonic queen uh, <laughs> the clown um was was much much darker what i really liked about the first film and again i've got that in my notes um that wasn't as much in the second film was the character development the ca- we really got to know those children individually one by one and we saw their the characters evolve and mature as they face pennywise who basically is a clown of some sort of entity from space that feeds on fear um and for the first time actually uh, at, at the end of the first movie pennywise becomes a victim of fear himself and that does change him and we see a much more vulnerable pennywise in the, in the second film but a pennywise that is still desperate for fear um but the, the second film has some darker themes um i don't want to say too much about it but there's quite a dark um event in the, in the start of the film like you said a homophobic attack which was shocking but then not explained it almost felt like it was just plopped in there i didn't quite understand where that came from and why that was in there but nonetheless it was quite shocking um and then also you know themes of life and death and you know some of our protagonists um you know have to face, face these issues um it had a much bigger budget than the first film mm. But I don't necessarily think that big budget horrors always do very well. And the problem this film was always going to have was the first was very unique. Not many people had probably seen the 1990 version. People our age in their 20s because they wouldn't have been around when it was first out. And the first, it was a massive, massive hit. I just felt like this one, they'd taken what could have been one film and stretched it out into two. Um, and it was very long. I mean, it was, it's got a running time of nearly uh, well over two and a half hours. So I just felt like there wasn't as much character development. Um, it went from the sublime to the ridiculous. So from being really creepy to laugh out loud, ridiculous, which it wasn't supposed to. Mm. And, and also there wasn't quite the same level of character development, which is really surprising considering the quality of the cast with the likes of James McAvoy in there. Yeah. So the first film, as we, as you said, the, the character development, but the first film had this feeling of um, Stand By Me. Now, that's another Stephen King novel that was adapted. Yes, very, and, very well said. You know, where the kids go and seek out this body that's rumoured to be on these train tracks. And, and again, this is it's a very coming-of-age film. And that's why we get that character development in, in the first. It, it, you get that coming-of-age, um, you know, these children going through something that they shouldn't really be going through and becoming adults in, in the sense that because they're having to do something that maybe adults should only really do. And then it's 27 years later in the second one, we skip over a large portion of these children's lives to see where they are currently. Now, they all have these repressed feelings and and uh, emotions to what happened previously. But the further away they get from Derry, the, f- the more they forget about what actually happened. So they have to start remembering uh, everything that happened. So it, a lot of it's about going underground almost and then bringing forth and take, you know, bringing things to the surface. And they 
literally do have to go underground at one point mm. in the film. So there's a lot of that sort of metaphorical uh, visual nature to the film, which I liked, but it's it didn't hit home hard enough um, in that sense. Don't get me wrong, it is a good film. It it just lacked the emotional engagement that you got in the first one you you felt intrigued throughout the first film but in the second one you're you're not so intrigued because you don't really know these characters anymore and you didn't get to know them again because they didn't have as we said the character development and and it really needed that um i thought james mcavoy was good but he just was really underutilized i mean Mm. he you know james mcavoy is a brilliant actor anyway um but just didn't wasn't utilized in the in the correct manner he just seemed to have a few good moments and that was it it, mm. it wasn't great bill hader i thought he provided the comical relief yeah, in bill the was phone very good. and he was he was very good but again too much of it i think because all of the almost set pieces that happen within the film where there's a lot of action going on mm. it's it's brought back down to a comical level and it's too much of that yeah it's there's almost, a lot of comedy it's in, on steroids in what other, yeah what, what otherwise is a horror film um i mean jessica chastain plays beverly marsh she's the young ginger girl in the original film i thought that she was superb in the act the young actress that played her in the original film was superb a character who comes from you know a, a, a very broken family has an abusive father and there's loads of development and one of my favorite bits in the first film actually is when you've got all the boys lined up on that cliff top all in their white briefs umming and ahhing about whether or not they should jump in into into the lake below them and she just comes charging past them and just bombs straight into the lake and then you've got a lovely aerial shot of them all playing in the water and what we got to know and love was the characters so the clown was scary but we also didn't want our protagonist to come to any harm because we grown to lo- to know and like them we cared for them we yeah. cared for them the problem we have in the second film is because it jumps forward 27 years that in itself isn't a problem the problem we have is that we don't know these new characters we feel very much like they do as in well it's been 27 years a lot can change in 27 years who the hell who the hell are they what we needed before they all came back together was two or three minutes on each character so we got to know a little bit about what had happened since they'd left Derry and we didn't get that. So it almost felt like the film jumped forward 27 years and we were actually seeing new characters. It didn't really, to me, feel like it was the old characters, which is why occasionally what they did was they showed the new character and then they showed the they did have some flashbacks, which I thought worked really well. And, and actually some of the best bits of this film were the flashbacks, yeah. which I imagine would have been filmed not long after the original film. Actually, they they filmed this at the same time. Oh, did they? They did, and they've had to use CGI to de-age some of the children as, as well as um, audibly change their voices mm. as well because some of them have obviously grown a lot older, their voices have got a bit deeper and yeah. whatnot, and they've actually had to make them look how they were before. So oh, wow. I don't know if you noticed in the film, you do get a little bit of CGI-ness in their faces a little bit. And I actually thought that that made them feel a little bit wooden almost. Mm. It didn't feel the same as how they were in the first one yeah. because watching it back to back you really do notice that and well especially yeah. me i really did notice it um not everybody's going to notice that um i thought stephen king had a really nice cameo in here yeah. as well um there's a nice little heart back to um the shining as well that at one funny, point yeah. which i thought was really good you know where uh, he goes here is johnny <laughs> I, thought, I thought that was i thought <laughs> that was really great yeah no um and it's it's a good film but mm. i don't think it's as good as the first well yeah I mean, and and 
and our analysis would add up. So like I said, the first film got 86% from the critics. This one only gets 65, which is still actually not bad at all. Uh, the audience score at the moment on the new film is 82% and the old film was 84. So in terms of an audience perspective, they think they're pretty similar. But from the critics, from the people who are you know paid to know about films, they, they definitely see the first... I mean, 86% for a horror film of this nature for the first is a very high score from the critics. Mm. And... I'm really glad I watched these films back to back. And I've got to say, I I I wanted to hate it. I wanted to come on the show today and say, oh, I saw it double bill and the first one was terrible and the second one was worse. But that's not the case. Both of them are pretty good films. It's just the first one is better. Mm. I think Andy Muschietti, who's the director of these uh, both these films, I think he's got a real passion for the source material and he really understands it. Yeah. But now that he's been given this larger budget for the second one, he's almost you know, throwing money at, you know, the set pieces and the CGI-ness of, yeah. of it. And perhaps Stephen King lacked an ending. Now, a lot of, in, in It Chapter 2, they do discuss how one of the characters is a writer and he can't come up with decent endings. And it felt like that in this film, actually. It like, felt like it, it was almost a dig at itself. Like, we know the ending's not great because the ending is isn't great is it the, the it, it is a bit of an anti-climax and mm. it was always going to be a bit of an anti-climax but you forgive it because of the journey that you're taking on to get to the ending mm. i'd like to see a third in terms of a prequel almost and and see how pennywise mm. really did come about because obviously you learn a bit more about him in in chapter two and you learn something quite um, intriguing and you'd like to learn how he was formed in a, in a way. I'm going to say that. I think a prequel would be very effective and potentially very, very scary as well. I agree with that. Shall we ask questions? Yes, please do. Uh, David, It Chapter 2, is it worth it? Look, I'm going to say yes. If you like the first one, with all of these films, if you like the first one, you almost have no choice but to go and see the second one. But I'm also going to say this. If you haven't seen It go and see it, you know, get it on DVD or, or stream it if it's on. I imagine it's probably on Netflix or Amazon or one of the streaming services that now with the second one coming out. If it isn't, go out and buy it on DVD, you know, rent it off, off of, um, you know... A, a, Amazon, a, iTunes, a, whatever. A legitimate uh, a source and watch it because I thought It Chapter One was, was really, really good and the second one is worth seeing in the cinema, yeah. So, Craig, It Chapter Two for you... Is it worth it? It's definitely worth seeing in the cinema environment. Um, I mean, most horrors are worth seeing in the cinema because you have that darkened environment, you have that great surround sound that's audible. Wherever you are sitting, it, it will surround you. And to take advantage of that scariness, you you need to be in the cinema environment. But it's, as, as we said, it's not as good as the first. Um, and if you do want to see... A, a worthy film that's that's brilliant i think it chapter one is the one to to see if you can see it at home first before coming to see it chapter mm -hmm. two and make your own minds up but yeah it's worth seeing in the cinema for sure and so that is our review of it chapter two Following on from our first review on this week's show, our second is uh, The Informer. And uh, this sees Peter Kozlo recruited by the FBI to take down a prevalent Polish criminal kimpin in New York City. Peter is an ex-con and a decorated soldier, but when things start to go wrong, Peter must start planning to find a way out of the trouble that looms ahead. Let's take a little listen to a trailer clip that I have procured. <laughs> 
The generals, one of the major importers of fentanyl. We're going after him. We have a source inside. He's a convicted felon. This is bad business. You'll break your parole. Get back to prison. If anyone can get drugs inside, it's you. I want out. We go along with the plan. Evidence buries the general for good. And if that happens, you're a free man. I'll never get out. You need to fix this. You know what to do. Burn him. He's so close to delivering. He has a family. We made him guarantees. I'm just trying to get home. This ends now. So I'm going to fly straight into this and say that I really, really like this film. I normally don't go so quickly into saying whether I like to film or not, but with this one, I saw it last night. I was just really impressed by it. I knew nothing about it, so I hadn't even seen a trailer. I had a brief look at li- online at a synopsis. Um, I was immediately saw that Rosamund Pike was in it, and I was looking forward to that because I think she's a superb actress. Um, but yeah, I, I thought it was great. I, I, what I liked about it was the character development. It had really good character development, and we were talking a little bit uh, on our previous review about it and how that developed characters and made you care for the characters. Well, our protagonist here, we do care for him, and it has a, a, a you know a good plot. It's well acted, and it has the right balance of action and drama. Um, and I, I found the pace really, really engaging. So it's very one paced so it doesn't really pick up that much but the pace throughout is is very very engaging um it certainly kept my attention um and my interest i mean it's nothing original in terms of its plot or narrative like it's not going to set the world alight this is the kind of story we've seen before where an ex-con is used by the fbi or the police department to be an undercover operative um it happens a lot in america a lot more so than it does here people in america are given 20 years in prison and then someone will say to them, well, we'll half your prison sentence or we'll come out and we'll give you a safe house if you expose the the top drug lord. It happens a lot in America, not so much in the UK. So it's not original in terms of its plot. Um, But I was gripped and engaged by it and I did care for the characters. Um, Rosamund Pike and Joel Kinnaman uh, are great. Uh, I thought both of their characters played off each other really, really well. Um, And and I just liked the way the film moved. The audience that were were in with me were all quite engaged. I often look around when I'm in in the cinema to see what people are like and everyone was pinned to their screen. Mm. A lot of people had popcorn but weren't eating it. You know, when someone's so into the film that they're not even eating the popcorn, it was a bit like that. Very gripped. Yeah, gripped. And Clive Owen's in the film as well. His character takes more of a backseat role. Um, Clive Owen's often the front man in these kind of films. He wasn't so much the front man here, but his character is quite important to the plot. Um... What I would say about it is I think that they've definitely left it open for a sequel. Um, I don't want to say too much about that because I don't want to spoil the film. But I was I was just really impressed by this. I don't know, I don't know what your thoughts were. I don't think you enjoyed it as much as I did. No, I don't think I did actually. Um, first of all, I'll say that this was a this is a thriller based on a, a Swedish novel. Um, so they've relocated the setting first of all to New York, a New York setting, um, and. You do have a story of a man who faces literally no choice but to go back to prison and and try and solve his problem without getting caught by one group or caught by the other yeah. group. And he's stuck in the middle here, really quite 
difficultly and he has to try and and solve this problem and i felt that it was actually borderline a little bit ridiculous at times um as you said it's not going to set the world on fire at all um clive owen i felt was actually really quite terrible he has a weird way of talking (laughs) and he has a really strange accent and a strange voice and it felt like every other word was his own voice and then he had this weird accent going on as well i felt he was fairly terrible his his character is fairly important but Mm. for the plot but he has a a backseat role in terms of clive owens often more of a front man yeah he has a backseat role here I didn't think he was terrible. I, I just thought really, he was Clive Owen. I, yeah, well, exactly. That's <laughs> terrible. I mean, if you're playing, and you're an actor, you're supposed to play other people. You're, he's you're just himself. Other, he is just himself, trying to be somebody else. Mm. And you really did get a sense of that. Rosamund Pike, I think she was good, but we've seen her in so much better material. Uh, a Private War, for instance. Yeah, she was sensational year. in that. In, both of, in my top 10 films of 2019. Exactly. So, you know, um, it did have a bit of a feel of Sicario 2, but Sicario 2 was way better. Yeah. Um, its plot was a fairly more constrained in terms of believability. This didn't have that believability to me. And it might be because I'm not a resident of the United States where we get a lot more of what you said goes on here. But again, they've ported this book, this novel from a Swedish background yeah. into a New York setting. So you, they can sort of take the ridiculous out a little bit more. You know, I did enjoy it, but it, to me, it did felt like it just went on a bit too long. Mm. And then as it went on, it got more and more ridiculous. I, I did come out thinking that I thought it was a good film, though. Mm. Whether or not it's something that I'd say you can you should see in the cinema is another question. Um, I, I do feel like this is something you can watch at home mm. um, and get the same feeling of, of the film. There's nothing in there that was really quite so cinematic. It, it was just... Yeah, I understand what you say. It's, it's weird, though, because I'm often the one that goes, you know, this was ridiculous, I didn't believe the plot, and... You're, you're absolutely spot on. If you don't believe the plot, if you don't believe that what you're seeing is plausible, then you're going to have no interest in it at all. Like I said, I did believe that it was plausible. I did understand it. You've got to take it with a bit of a pinch of salt. Any any film where someone goes into prison, you know everything is exaggerated. And any film that has the FBI and particularly the NYPD, and you know, again, that's a bit exaggerated. I imagine Americans watching this would probably be going, oh, we're sick of this kind of stuff. I mean, in terms of the Rotten Tomato score, it doesn't have an audience score yet because it's not been out that long. Um, the critics give it 45%. So the critics say it is rotten in the sense that it's below 50. Um, I'm, I'm surprised by that. Uh, for me, the 45% really does reflect Craig's review. So if you like to compare reviews versus Rotten Tomatoes, Craig is certainly much more in line with the experts here. Um, I thought it was more like a 65% film for myself. Um, I really enjoyed it, but then again, I haven't seen many films like this. It was a bit of a welcome break for me, and I actually got engaged with it. But if you didn't get engaged, then you would have struggled. Yeah, I I was engaged, but I just felt like it was going on too long. They were stretching long bits out, and yeah. it just didn't need that. It just needed to move a bit faster. And It's and, very one pace, like I said. Yeah, exactly. It, but I found that a satisfying pace. But then it, near to the end, it becomes something completely different mm. and it does borderline ridiculous it does, in get, that sense. it does unfortunately the ending does start to get a little bit silly um and a little bit unbelievable which it, which is a shame because it didn't need to go down that route no. um but overall i mean i think we've touched upon pretty much every base you can yeah i mean um, it's not there's not too much you can really talk no. about in this film you it's now whether or not it was worth it i think yeah. so craig for you the informer is it worth it 
Uh, I'm going to say no. It's not worth going to see in the cinema. I think it will be perfectly adequate to sit at home mm. in your pants, watching with a pe- with a, <laughs> with a pizza uh, one evening after work when you're bored and you want to watch a film. Uh, this will certainly help you switch off. Yeah. Um, for me, I'm going to say it is worth seeing. Yes. Is it worth seeing in the cinema? I'm, I'm going to say yes, with the kind of films that are out at the moment, I, I do think The Informer's worth seeing. I was surprised by the amount of people that were in this screening. Most people that came out, I always listened to what people are saying, and they were fairly po- uh, positive. Um, I think Rosamund Pike and Joel Kinnaman give really good performances, actually, and I think they're both very talented at their craft. So for me, yes, The Informer is not only worth it, but it is worth seeing in the cinema. So that is and was the review of The Informer. We love the cinema and we're able to see all these movies with Cineworld's Unlimited Card. See any film, any time, as many times as you like. Being an Unlimited Card holder gives you access to all the 2D films you can handle for one monthly price. Be the first to see a movie with special Unlimited member advanced screenings and secret screenings. Save on snacks and drinks in the cinema with 10% off in your first year and 25 in your second. Enjoy 25% off food and drink at partner restaurants, which includes Yo Sushi, Cafe Rouge, Bella Italia, La Iguana, La Tasca and Belgo. All for the monthly price of just £18.40. Apply today using the code ISITWORTHIT, all one word, to get £10 off your first month with Cineworld Unlimited. So the third review on this week's episode is A Million Little Pieces. Now, I saw this film on my own in Milton Keynes, and I'm going to be doing this review kind of on my own, but David, you're going to be... uh, sort of chiming in a few bits and pieces with some uh, worthy information, I think. Um, but So this sees director Sam Taylor-Johnson returning to the silver screen with an adaptation of James Frey's memoir. Uh, there was some controversy surrounding his work. Uh, this sees a young drug-addled writer approaching the bottom of his descent uh, and submitting to two months of agonising detox at a treatment centre in Minnesota. Uh, I've got a trailer here. Let's play the trailer and then we'll jump straight into the review. Minneapolis, sir. Vodka, whatever you have. Sir, I'm sorry. I'm not allowed to give you any alcohol. Says who? The doctor that carried you onto the plane. Why are you doing this to me? Because you're my brother. And you're breaking mom and dad's hearts. Truth is, I don't need to be here. I'm not like these other people. We're all the same in here. We gotta look out for one another. I've never seen this degree of degradation in someone so young. If you were to start using again, it's more than likely that you would go into cardiac arrest immediately. Let's take a walk. How are you doing? Some days I feel okay, others I just want to crawl up in a dark hall and die. I'm good, you're doing okay then. As soon as you realize that there is no choice, there's a choice. I'm not an addict. I'm not an addict. You don't have the balls to face it. That's what I think. So you do have life left in you. You can win this thing. You can't. Yeah, you can. 
you do this alone? No one could get thrown out for doing this. A second of freedom is worth more than a lifetime of bondage. I'm just scared. I'm leaving. I know that I'm not better. I try. You got two choices. You can let it kill you. You can let it go and move on. Make peace with yourself. You're a worthwhile human being, James. You got a lot to give people. God damn, I'm gonna make a gorilla shit the treehouse. I'm glad I could be a service. I'll kickstart this review by saying there is some very strong central performances within the film with Aaron Taylor-Johnson, who is the husband to Sam Taylor-Johnson, um, playing the main character in the film. He also had a, a large amount of input in the film by writing the screenplay uh, with Sam as well. Um, it's a really difficult film for us to talk about in, in, in some ways. Now, you haven't seen it, but it's a subject matter that is quite prevalent in your life. Um, so it sees uh, James, who's played by Aaron, who has to submit to this this detox after going on, I don't know, since the age of 14, smoking, taking drugs, weed, drinking, everything you could possibly do. And as he gets into his early 20s, it just gets worse and worse and worse to the point where he actually hurts himself quite severely and, and then is taken to this rehab centre. Um, and he's taken there by his brother, as you heard in the trailer. Um, it's it's uh, it's really difficult because when you see something like this play out on screen and you've seen something like this in reality, it hits home. And, you know, you see someone who's been through these things where they're, they're in denial of the realisation that they need the help, uh, which is where James's character starts off at. You know, he's in complete denial. He isn't an addict. But as you heard from the trailer, the doctor basically says that you have been hitting this so hard that if you relapse or if you start again, you're basically going to die, basically. Um, and, you know, it's difficult when you've seen someone who's struggled with addiction and you've seen them you know, relapsing as well as I've seen yourself go through this. It it was really difficult to watch. I enjoyed the film though. Um, yeah, what, and, and obviously you haven't seen the film, but to sum up your experiences mm. and from what you heard from the trailer as well, how would you... How do you feel about this sort of film coming to the big screen? Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting. I haven't seen the film. I really want to see the film having literally listened to the trailer, so I didn't even watch it. I just listened to it, so I, I would hear the same as the audience. I think the first thing, the interesting thing from the trailer is that addiction always starts with denial, so our protagonist here sounds like he's in a real sorry state, um, but he doesn't realise he's an addict, and that is so true. When, when you're an addict, the first thing you'll do is deny that you're an addict um, because you're so intoxicated you're so detached from reality that of course you don't think you're an addict because you're never sober enough to realize you're an addict um and i've not really spoken about this on on this show before but uh, i am a recovering addict i've been uh, clean and sober for 20 tw nearly 21 months um, my last drink uh, and or drug was on the 24th of december 2017 um 
and I've known Craig for, for many, many years and he, he's seen me get sober for two or three months and then relapse and probably one of my worst relapses, which, you know, similar to the to the character here, near, near enough killed me. Um, I'd been sober for about six or seven months and then I picked up a drink and within two or three days I was rushed into hospital in a, in a really, really terrible condition, uh, quite lucky to be alive. And I think the thing about addiction is that I don't think anyone chooses to be an addict. You know, some people classify it as an illness. Some people say it's a disease. Whatever it is, I know that I've got it. And I know that if I pick up a drink or a drug, that I will be in a very poor condition very quickly and probably will die. Um, and that's the sorry state of, of, of the reality of it. Robin Williams had been sober for many, many years, had a tiny little whiskey miniature when he went fishing, um, sent him on a massive relapse. Um, Philip Seymour Hoffman had been clean from heroin for over 20 years, started using a died of an overdose you know and there are many great men you know George Best one of the brilliant brilliant most sensational footballers of all time uh, suffered with alcoholism to the extent where he had a liver transplant was given a second chance and then destroyed his second liver and died of alcoholism look at Paul Gascoigne you know so there's many great men far greater and more talented than myself that have suffered with this um with this disease or this illness. And I, and I think it's brilliant that this kind of stuff is brought to the big screen because I think it's, it's not the sort of thing you necessarily want to watch, but it's something you need to watch. And that bit about the brother helping the other brother really struck with me because my brother's been, um, of monumental influence and impact and support to myself. And likewise with you, but I think when you see, an addict, whether it's someone who's in the midst of the madness or someone who's just sobered up, it, we're all human. And when I look at a homeless person who's perhaps addicted to crack and heroin on the streets, I don't look at them. I look at them when they were a baby. I think of them when they were, you know, a, a young child. They wouldn't have chosen that path. Um, it's it's what it's what's happened to them. And I'm I'm very proud to be sober. I'm very proud that I haven't had a drink or a drug for for nearly 21 months. But I know that it's something that has to be worked out one day at a time. And I know that horror of going to rehab. I remember the first time I went to rehab, thinking that I didn't need it. And guess what? I got sober and I stayed sober for about three months. But then I relapsed because. I was still in denial. And yeah, to me, it's, it's been a tough review. I can see it's been difficult for you to review because it's something that's very close to both of us. But it sounds like they've, they, it's a very meaty subject and it sounds like they've, they've given it a good crack. They, they really have. Um, you, like you just mentioned there about it being a disease as well, it touches upon that in the film. And there's a point where uh, James, played by Aaron, he is confronted with it about being a disease and he disagreed that it was mm. a, a disease. And, and then it gets turned on its head and he realises, actually, you're right. Mm. You know, this is, you, you know, you choose to do certain things, but, you know, you weren't born with that yeah. in, in you and, and you know sometimes you don't have a choice because actually you yeah. know I, I, it makes so much more sense when you watch I the film I think the interesting but... thing about addiction is when you're in the middle of addiction so when I was drinking and, and, and using or whatever you, you don't have a choice you, you literally yeah. don't have a choice exactly. but once you've sobered up once you're sober and clean that's when you do have a choice like today I have a choice at the moment I'm drinking a, a nice black Americano I know that I can walk over to, t to Tesco now and buy a litre of vodka and drink it I know but I choose not to because today now I'm sober I have that choice 
choice. But getting to that point where you realize you are broken, you are ruined, you, it is rock bottom. And the thing about rock bottoms is everyone, I've seen so many people, myself, I want to talk about my experience. Oh, you know, I've hit rock bottom, I've hit rock bottom. No, you haven't. <laughs> you can keep digging and digging and digging. And mm. the uh, my rock bottom was literally on the verge of death. I, I drank to a point where I nearly killed myself and it was only not the first time, but the second or third time that a doctor told me that you should be dead, that I actually finally thought, you know, uh, I need to give this up. Because I did try. The thing is, I, I did try to get sober. I tried to stay sober. And the the, the way I've realised and the way I've stayed sober now is one day at a time is that you admit that you are powerless mm. and that you can't do it on your own and that you need to get help. Yeah. So the, the way James goes and gets help in this film is that he... It's, it's in the rehab, but the rehab is it's like a, a, an AA session as well. Yeah. Um, and they, you know, they go through the 12 steps and there's a lot of religion is played into that as well. And he doesn't like religion. He's not, he's quite against religion mm. and he struggles to confront that part of the AA um, side of things. He, you know, there's, it, the other themes within the film is suicide. You know, it is a really heavy, film. heavy, difficult subject and, and a difficult film, but it, has its humorous moments as well. I mean, we've got Billy Bob Thornton in there yeah. who plays quite a... He is an addict as well and he's in there, but he's also there to help. He is a guide. He is a source of like a father figure to James in, in this film. Uh, there's a, a female protagonist in there who was played by Odessa Young. She plays Lily. Um, you know, this is a character that she and and James fall in love with each other and you know you see their relationship blossom and you do really build a connection with these characters and you do laugh at the things that they say and almost cry at the things that they do and and you do get that connection now what surprised me quite a lot is how um the reviews that I've seen online of it and it hasn't been too great and I can see certain reasons why I think sometimes the pace is brilliant and sometimes the pace is awful it delves into a lot of the hardcore stuff and takes its time doing that and you want that because you want to connect with these characters but then when it's just about to get heavy again into some other subjects it brushes over it and you really don't want it to be brushed over you want to be talking about it you want to hear what's happening you want to understand why and it doesn't quite do it um, there's some there's some really great visuals in here as well with some things that you see playing out on screen that's actually in James's head, um, which I thought was really intriguing as well. Um, and, you know, it's definitely a film that I think is, is worth going to see in the cinema. And I've answered the question before the question's even asked. I think it's important to see these films. I think it's important that these films are made, these, these films are viewed, and that things, uh, subject matters like this are... Uh, talked about in in real life and on the big screen because if you don't talk about it things don't happen things don't change and it's all about making changes and and accepting yourself for who you are and and you won't not accept yourself for who you are because you haven't seen it in yourself you go and watch this film and you might realize you have that epiphany that that's me you know i am i am struggling i do need help and you know it's a, you know, it really did hit home for me watching it. It was a real tough watch and it was worth my while driving to Milton Keynes, 40 minutes there, 40 minutes back to watch the film. What I wasn't um, so pleased with was, was the audience that were watching it with me. Um, 
there were people behind me that were talking throughout the entire film. I had to turn around and say, please, do you mind not talking about the film whilst we're watching the film? Talk about it when you get out. You know, um, there were people, and it wasn't like it was like whispering, it was audible talking. And I hate, you know, you know what I'm like, you know, we've talked about well, it. Well, there's before. no excuse for audible talking in, no. in the auditorium. Exactly. And there was people even further behind us that were really being very loud and obnoxious. And it's, it's a part of the cinema. Do you think cinema. that they weren't aware of the subject matter that was unfolding in front of them? I mean, they, I, 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 I don't think they were aware of the subject matter when they went into it, mm. and therefore this wasn't their film. Um, but it, it was very in poor taste to be talking yeah, during imagine, this sort of yeah. film, and it really did anger me a lot, actually. Um, but you can ask me the question. We all know what the answer is going to be. So I think you've already answered it, but Craig, a million little pieces... Is it worth it? Yes, it's definitely worth seeing on the big screen. It it doesn't have... A, it's one of those films where a lot happens, but a, but nothing really happens, if you know what I mean. It's, it's difficult to explain because of that pace is so up and down that you see certain things play out and then certain things not play out. And... I, I still think it's a worthy film to see in the cinema because of its subject matter, because of the visual nature of the film as well. They do go, go into a lot of nice visual sequences that I think it's worth seeing in the cinema, for sure. But if even if you don't catch it in the cinema, because it is on a limited release, I, I'd highly, strongly recommend that you catch it when it comes out on DVD, on Blu-ray, or, or you see it on you know iTunes, you buy it on there and you watch it at home because it is such a strong, powerful subject matter that everyone should really watch a film like this. Thank you very much, Craig. And that was Craig's review of A Million Little Pieces. Our final review on week 35 is The Mustang. Uh, what is this film about? Well, Roman Coleman is a violent convict, and after a number of years in prison, he is given the chance to participate in a rehabilitation therapy program centered around the training of wild Mustangs. Let's take a listen to a clip. It's real simple. When both ears point one way to the front, he's happy. When they both point to the back, he ain't so happy. You see his ears? Well, just tell me what to do, all right? You got to be patient, man. You got to be patient if you want to get your hands on it. There's <laughs> a real nice horse you got here, man. What's your name? I haven't named him yet. <laughs> Everybody need a name, Roman. That might be the reason he's not coming when you call him. I read something about a guy who could gallop so slow, it took him an hour to go 300 yards. That's the whole story? That's slower than that mule over there. That's uh, very unimpressive. It's I mean, about controlling strength. He was using silk reins. Silk reins? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> the guy's name is Marcus. <laughs> Look alive, we got happy ears. Marcus. So I think that's a really great clip that Craig has selected there where Matthias Schoenart's character 
um, finally gets to name his Mustang and he goes for the name Marcus and we see the horse respond to that, which is really nice because he's not actually been able to get much out of this wild Mustang as they're trying to break it in and teach it to to basically be submissive to the human but also have a, a relationship built on trust because any i love my horse racing i love i love horses any any relationship with a horse has to be built on trust because a horse is an incredibly powerful large strong animal and a horse will not do what you tell it to do in, unless you have that trust you know a horse is more powerful than a human and if you don't know what you're doing a horse can be a very dangerous animal where do we start with this film well we start by saying that it's beautifully shot um it's superbly acted it's got a lovely soundtrack but narratively um it's perhaps um a little bit predictable i mean it's not the first and it won't be the last of its type um so it's not too hard to work out where this film's going you know you've got a guy in prison you've got a wild mustang the guy in prison's kicking off against authority he's been put into isolation and he's banging on his cell wall and then you've got the horse that's separated from the herd that's you know um put in isolation and uh, going against authority. So you basically see the human and the horse, two not only different species that have the same, you know, personalities and they come together um, and you know where it's going to go with them both responding to each other and building that relationship. So it's probably best not to judge it on its subject matter, but how it portrays the subject matter, because it is a little bit predictable. Um, firstly, I think there's great acting. Matthias Schoenarts gives a great performance. There's not much script in this film. No. Um, so what he does have is is a lot of facial expressions, a lot of body, body language, and also a lot of interaction with the horses, and knowing a lot about um, horses as well. You can see this particular horse, the main horse, is quite a raw green Mustang. He's he's not, probably not been broken in. He's still a little bit edgy on his toes, quite inexperienced. And I imagine they would have actually have taken that horse from a fairly um, inexperienced nature to, to probably breaking him in and actually getting a human on his back through the shooting. I don't know. But by looking at it, you can't make a horse act. And that horse did look very raw in, in the early um, part of the film. I mean, it's a very interesting look at a unique prison program, something that I would love to see introduced over here in the UK. I think there's a great amount of evidence to prove that interaction with animals is really good for mental health, for physical health. Um, I, I know there's been studies to show that working with animals has a massive um, impact on reducing reoffending, um, and it, as well as obviously an interesting look at a unique prison program. It's also a very powerful. Um, character study i mean it does leave a few plot lines unresolved and also maybe doesn't go as deep or as far as it could with some of the things that it um uh, that it opens up i mean there's a few things there's a lot of doors opened in this film yep. and you go through all of these doors and some of them are then closed and bolted and you think yep they definitely dealt with that issue whereas others they go through the door and then you then that's it they never revisit it certain characters come and go and you you, you feel like that's not completely resolved um and perhaps it's a little bit slow in parts. Um, I mean, I love horses, and I, and I did enjoy this film, but it, it was a little bit slow. Um, and I, I, I just wanted to see a little bit more in terms of character development. I think there could have been 10 or 15 minutes of footage cut just for a little bit more meat on the bone. Um, I've got one other thing to talk about in terms of a stunning scene, but what did you make of the film, Craig? I, I really enjoyed it. It's not your usual Hollywood film where no. it guides you by the hand, but as you said, the script is almost not non-existent in terms of dialogue, and mm. you have um, uh, Roman really showing you 
what he's feeling with his eyes and his body language, as you said. And I thought that was really brilliantly done. Yeah. Some really great directing going on there. And as you said, the reflection of, of the horse and uh, Roman's predicament in prison, you know, and being put into isolation and, you know, the mirroring image of these two creatures or these two people, you know, really did, I, I thought was really, really well done. And, you know, it's a drama. It's a real gritty mm. drama and it's a real uh, character study and it's a real, as you said, insight into a, 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 a piece of therapy in a way, a rehabilitation mm. therapy program that that you don't necessarily see. And, you know, it would really be great if it did delve into a little bit more about some of the characters that are introduced mm. um, and just got a little bit more out of it. Saying that, though, I like that the pace was a little bit slower. It's not a long film. It's about 90 minutes long. Mm. You know, if it was a two-hour film, I'd say, yeah, that's a really slow film. Some of it could have been shaved off to put some more of, you know, a bit more meat on the bone a bit further along. (laughs) But... (laughs) So much meat and so much bone on today's episode. there really is. Um, But it... For me, I I actually really thoroughly enjoyed it. I actually saw this in an empty screen as well. I was the only person mm. in this screening of this film. And Which I, is a shame, isn't it? You know what? It, it's a shame, but also I actually really enjoyed the fact that I was the only person in there. I, I enjoyed it because there was nobody bothering me. I, I could literally sit there and be engulfed by the screen and be mm. engulfed by the drama that's happening in front of me. And I, I really became at one with what was going on and I believed everything that was going on. It was almost like I was a fly in the wall watching these people and animals come together and become one almost. Mm. And it was beautifully shot. It was cinematically a, a masterpiece in, 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 yeah. in some respects. Um, and I think this could be in and around some of the awards, you know, this year. I, I genuinely think that. Um, I don't know if it's going to be in for any actor awards or anything. It should be, but it should get some recognition. Mm. I really do. I think it was a really, really wonderful film. Yeah. I mean, you talk about how beautifully shot it was. There's this one scene. So basically what happens is they take these wild Mustangs um, and there is a problem with with wild horses in America and diminishing numbers and uh, various things. And that's all brilliantly explained at the start and at the end of the film. And they bring them into the prison and they break them in and they teach them to trot and to canter and and respond to to humans. And then they basically send them to auction um, and and they raise money for that way. So not only have you got the money being raised, you've also got the, the rehabilitative therapy for the prisoners and there's this wonderful scene where you've got all of these horses in a line there's probably about 10 or 15 of these mustangs just trotting or or a light canter through the desert and the it's not quite in slow motion um, but it is certainly slower than normal um and the camera zooms in on the horses and you see the horses breathing and you look into the horse's eyes and you really get to know the horse's character. And then it zooms in on the prisoners and you've got the shots of the, you know, the, the tattoos on the prisoners and the scars and you see the scars on the horses, these wild horses. And it's got this sort of country music over the top soundtrack and it's just brilliantly shot you know this wide panoramic shot of these probably 15 maybe 20 horses all trotting in a line and then it's it's wonderful and the the rotten tomato scores i think are really interesting on this on this film the critics give it 94 percent and the audience gives it 76 percent and i was really really happy because 
after coming out of the of the, of the cinema, I, I I always make a note of what do I think the scores on Rotten Tomatoes will be. And I thought that this would be a nineties on Rotten Tomatoes and about a seventy seventy five from the audience. And I think that's spot on. I think critically, it's a ninety four ninety five percent film. It's you know it's beautifully shot. The acting's great. The soundtrack. Um, but from an audience perspective, there are a few problems with it. So cinematically, it's brilliant. But from an actual viewing perspective, there are a few problems. So that 76% audience re- um, rating really sort of resonates with me. But overall, no, I just think visually there was something very, very special about this. And like you said, it is the kind of film that could potentially be in and around ward season. Maybe not something as big as the Academy Awards, but some of the more independent film festivals. Yeah. Um, I, ca- I can see it doing really well. Yeah. It's a, it's, it's not a massive Hollywood film. It's, it's not a blockbuster, and I imagine not, the budget wasn't that big. No, and, and I think the best way to describe it is that it was very modest, mm. and I think, and it was a humble film. There was yeah. nothing arrogant about it because there was potentially a real soppy Disney film in there. Like they could have had a really soppy, over the top. You know, here's a man in prison, and his this horse has saved his life, and. They did. They didn't go down that route actually, no. um, and I respect them for that because there was a real soppy Disney film in there somewhere. But they they kept well away from that, which mm. I think is good. Sincere and it's modest yeah. and it's humble, beautiful. And, yeah, and yeah. yeah, just a beautiful film. Should we ask questions? Yes, Craig, the Mustang. Is it worth it? Yes, I think this is definitely worth seeing in, in, in the cinema. I think it's not your typical Hollywood film, and I think for that reason, it's so worth going to see in the cinema. Um, I'm, gr- I'm glad it's had a, a decent um, release, that it's, it's come to Cineworld and Helmel Hempstead. Um, I could see it being in some of the smaller independent cinemas, and I think it will be there um, a lot longer than it would be if it was in... Uh, you know, if it was a more independent cinema, started off in an independent cinema, you know, it wouldn't be there for that long. But because it started off as a wider release and it's in Cineworld Hemel and it's in other Cineworlds, I think it will go on for a bit longer. So I think you can still probably catch it now. Um, and I really do strongly recommend that you do see a film like this. Mm. What about you? Yeah, The Mustang for me, also 100% worth it. I mean, it's worth it for the cinematography uh, and for the acting. The cinematography's great, the acting's brilliant. Um, Matthias Schunatz gives a really great performance because, like I said, there's not a huge amount of script, but his interaction with the other inmates and with the horses as well is is really captivating. Um, there is a slight issue with pace for me, but like Craig says, it's not an overly long film, but it's one that I would definitely recommend seeing on the big screen. So that was our review of The Mustang. Thanks for listening to Week 35. We hope you've enjoyed listening to our reviews this week. You may have noticed that our new artwork is up and we've been ramping up the social media and soon we'll be bringing the community together with our new Patreon account. That's right, Patreon will enable you, the listener, to support our podcast by giving a certain amount of money in return for special content and swag. We'll let you know in future episodes when this is completely up and running. And please don't forget, as always, to get in contact with the show. Uh, Let us know what you thought of this week's review give us your own film reviews and tell us if you agreed with what we had to say you can message us on a variety of platforms including twitter our twitter tag is at 
film is worth it uh, you can find us on instagram at is it worth it podcast uh, and also why not have a look on facebook simply by searching is it worth it the film review podcast you can also email the show at my mail is worth it at is it worth it podcast.com that email address again because it is very very long is my mail is worth it at is it worth it podcast.com uh, so that's the end of the show it is uh, we're not going to announce what's on week 36 because there's a lot of films out it could change but as always do please tune in uh, and thanks very much for listening to week 35 or is it worth it the film review podcast goodbye yes good good boo as always have a good one oh you almost went borderline pennywise oh hello georgie <laughs>